What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. I'm Daniel Yafusi. Thanks so much for tuning in. And after 17 weeks in the regular season, an action-packed postseason, we have reached the conclusion of the 2021 NFL season. All of that culminating in Super Bowl 56 last Sunday with the Rams coming away with the 23-20 win over the Cincinnati Bengals in their home stadium, SoFi Stadium in Inglewood. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy the game. I did. I was out there in the press box to to report on it, watch the game. It was a uh, great down to the the final the final play when Aaron Donald made that uh that big play to to cause the incompletion by Joe Burrow. Um, so now we kind of transition into the off season. I know as uh Dolphins fans, I know you guys have probably already had your eyes set on the off season for some time, but now we can really transition into that. So this episode will be kind of encapsulating uh the super bowl um looking back to last week you know it's been a couple of days but uh the dolphins introduced new coach mike mcdaniel last thursday so we'll talk about that uh, but first i'm gonna bring in david wilson you know him sports writer for the miami herald david how you doing man good i thought we were talking about the chris Stapps porzingis trade though oh yeah i mean that was the real <laughs> that was the real bomb that 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 yeah this past week yeah, of course wizards fans wizards uh <laughs> joke there <laughs> but nah uh, great to have you man let's let's start right with uh super bowl you know i know you tweeted it out uh during the game I don't, I don't remember exactly when it was but you said you know aaron donald is the best player in the nfl no doubt um and a lot of people think he was snubbed for mvp obviously he had two sacks couple uh quarterback hits you really had the two the two final plays i mean his hands right. are all over it uh you know you have him literally grabbing some igp ryan with one hand to prevent him from getting a first down and then you have him ragdolling the offensive lineman uh getting his hands on joe burrow and forcing that incompletion that sealed the game on fourth down but mvp honors ultimately went to wide receiver cooper cup who had eight catches 92 yards and two touchdowns including the game winner with 125 left uh I just got a plan to ask you, was Aaron Donald snubbed? I mean, I would have voted for him, right? If I had a, a vote, I think he was the best player. I think, you know, obviously voting for those awards, I don't know exactly when they happen, but a lot of times people have kind of got, you know, you're in a rush after the game. So um, Cup made the play a couple of minutes earlier. I wonder if, like, if that Donald play had happened with two minutes left to basically win the game instead of, what was it, 30 seconds or whatever it was, 15 yeah. seconds if it would have maybe been different, but just based on the like Super Bowl history and the way MVP votes always go, like it was kind of no doubt it was going to be cup. I thought, um, although Stafford was also like, you know, obviously has the two picks, but the yeah, one is not his fault. Like, I think, I wonder if, if that pick, the second pick doesn't happen. If, if he maybe wins the MVP, because yeah. the throw he made to cup on the slant that everyone was saying was the no look pass, uh, was, probably the biggest offensive play of the game. And that was more Stafford than Cup. Obviously they're both part of it. Um, I don't know. I mean, to me, I don't think you could go wrong either way. I would have gone with Donald because again, I think just he is the best player in the league and he looked like it for really the second half of that game and um, made again, like you said, the two biggest, probably the two biggest plays at the end um, with all due respect to like Cup and, and Stafford. Um, but again, you wrote about Cup uh, after the game. You know, it's one of the best wide receiver seasons ever. Probably, certainly the best one since at least the Calvin Johnson year where he set the receiving yards record. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, he was, he's the MVP of that offense with all due respect to Stafford. Like he was the engine for them. Um, it's kind of quite like his numbers were good. Obviously he caught two touchdowns to less than a hundred yards. Like it's not kind of a typical stat line for like a receiver who wins MVP. I guess Edelman was the last one. I don't remember what exactly what his numbers were. He, if I remember he had bigger, he had bigger numbers. I think he had that. bigger numbers. That was a weird, a weird defensive struggle Super Bowl too. But yeah. um yeah, to me, like you couldn't have gone wrong either way. I would have gone Donald, but I don't know if I would say it's like a snub because I think Cup was pretty equally, pretty, pretty well deserving too. Yeah, one thing that you pointed out early on that I really want to want to mention because a lot of people aren't didn't know this or don't know this is that the voting starts. I guess they're it's collected with like two minutes left in the game. Yeah, I saw a tweet um, about that, but I wasn't sure exactly what the. Yeah, so I, I'm assuming around that time it would have been like right after the the touchdown catch or, or right before that. And at that point, I mean, Cooper Cup was pretty quiet during that game. I know he had a touchdown early on. Yeah, but he was fairly quiet. I mean, he had yeah, there was like his... no obvious pick for most of that game, yeah, unless exactly. the unless the Bengals won, then it was going to be T Higgins. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, with Cup, he had four of his eight catches on that final drive. And then he had like a big jet sweep on fourth down that continued that drive. Um, So, yeah, I mean, if you didn't, if you kind of watch that game up until if you kind of turn the game off right when he caught touchdown fast, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, it's going to be him. But then you see Aaron Donald do what he does. and, And I agree with you. I think that if the vote was collected, like as soon as the game ended, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, or even if you give him five it. minutes after the game or something like that to like actually yeah. think about it. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure Donald gets it. But again, uh, you know, no, no complaints from the Rams. They're world champions. They're enjoying it all. They're going to Disneyland or whatever they, wherever they, they go after they win the Super Bowl. So uh, congrats to them. And, and as we kind of look big picture, I know, I know me and Andre uh, spoke about this a couple of weeks back, I believe after the, championship game or the divisional round just kind of like big picture takeaways like what you take away from that game um for, for, for me it's like it reinforced trench play we we all yeah. knew how bad the Bengals' offensive line was and they actually held up pretty well for you know the first like two and a half quarters um but then you know once the rams defensive front got it going and it wasn't even just donald it was like von miller leonard yeah. floyd, floyd ernest jones like those guys got it going and they just had no answer i think burrow was sacked seven times which seven tied times. Yeah. it tied a super bowl record um it just for me it reinforced like yeah i mean you have to have great quarterback play and i thought that both quarterbacks were good i, I wouldn't go t- to say that any of them were great yeah. on sunday um but it really that game i mean i, I said i thought the game was going to be one by the Rams because of, you know, the, the line play, especially the defensive line of the Rams versus Cincinnati's offensive line. And really, truthfully, it came down to that, uh, you know, up until the final moments that we saw with Donald. Yeah, they literally the, the last plays of the game was if it's third and two or third and one and yeah. they can't pick it up. And it's because their offensive line was overwhelmed by the Bengals offensive line. Yeah, I mean, those are the less I was going to ask, like, if you're, you know, what the NFL is a copycat league, like every sport league, like what? You know, the Rams, I think it's kind of hard to take, like, rebuilding lessons from them because they just kind of, you know, they I, – I don't I can't imagine a lot of people are going to do the level of, like, trade all your draft picks away to, like, just load up on short-term talent as, as they did. Yeah. But the lessons are, I, I think, uh, like you said, it's, it's all about line play unless you have, like, a superhuman quarterback who can make up for it, which Joe Burrow was, like, in that kind of zone for a lot of the playoffs, even if the numbers weren't crazy, like, uh, you know, some of the guys he was going up against. Just his escapability and, like, his ability to extend plays is, you know, if, if he is playing with a clean pocket, you don't get to probably appreciate that aspect of his game as much, but obviously his numbers would probably be better. You know, they're 
you can you can make do without offensive line play, but it's gonna catch up to you eventually. And that yeah, and it did for the Bengals. And it's hard to it's hard to build that up, right? Like the Bengals, obviously the ASC seems like it's gonna be stacked. Um, and the Bengals have a pretty stiff comp. Like it's they're not gonna be like a no brainer to be back there a million more times. Yeah, uh, because it's hard to build an offensive line. No, it is. I mean, they have the money there. Um, yeah. You know, I know a lot of people were criticizing the Chase, Jamar Chase pick over Penny Sewell at number four. Um, and, you know, early on, it was like, oh, you probably should have got that offensive lineman. But then you see Chase do what he does when NFL rookie, offensive rookie of the year. And you're like, all right, well, maybe they got maybe got they got that pick. But now you really got to invest some money yeah. and some draft picks into um, the offensive line. So, so we'll see what happens there. Um, I guess the last thing for Super Bowl that I want to ask you, and you know, we, we gotta we gotta talk about this is the halftime show. We talked about it a little bit earlier. You had Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Kendrick Lamar, Mary J. Blige, Eminem. We had some guest appearances by 50 Cent, Anderson Peck on the drums. I the guy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I had to include this into my, my notebook that I wrote uh uh you know game day. So I I headed out of the press box. I wanted to get a good view. This nice lady let me uh, stand next to her so I could get a good <laughs> spot for my, for my camera while I recorded. I was feeling it. You know, I'm a big Kendrick Lamar fan. That's like my top two, three favorite rappers ever. So I loved it. I love All Right. Um, you know, I, I like that. And I'm not, I wasn't old enough to, you know, grow up in the, the Snoop Dr. Dre era. Yeah, that, that's my demographic a little bit. <laughs> but, I, but I still did appreciate Dr. Dre is a little before my time. You know, yeah. like NWA Dr. Dre, at least. You're but, right. You're right. Yeah. I did appreciate the uh, the the homage to, to Mary J. Blige because, you know, she's the queen of hip hop. So I, I did appreciate that. And Eminem, I'm not an Eminem guy, but hey, I you know, he, he has the ties to Dr. Dre. Um, the crowd... I think the crowd yeah, like really lose went. yourself. Like how I, I was shocked they didn't start with lose yourself. Honestly, I thought for sure that was how they were going to start the. It was kind of a. I mean, they didn't show. they didn't finish the show with lose yourself. It was like the second to last song, I believe. Yeah. But it, they more or less like, like the crowd went crazy. Like yeah, the woman yeah. that I was next to when Kendrick Lamar was doing <laughs> all right, she was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. When lose yourself came on. She was on spaghetti, mom. Like she was. She was <laughs> She was into it. Um, I know a lot of people from the jump, they were saying that this was like the greatest halftime show ever. I don't like like the the big picture hot takes as soon as like stuff is over, kind of like with the Stafford Hall of Fame as soon as. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't like all that. I like to kind of like sit back, enjoy it and then maybe reflect on it. But I mean, it's up there for, for me and, and, you know, for the people listening, I'm 24. You're a little bit older than me. Um, so I don't have like, and I like I wasn't old enough to like really like remember Prince or Michael yeah. Jackson. Well, we don't remember the Michael Jackson one, which is like considered like the first great one, I think. Yeah. Right? What year was that? Um, I mean, the Prince one is the unassailable number one. Um, yeah. Oh, I was, I was, yeah. I was like, I was like an adolescent. With- yeah, I mean, I was a kid during. I was in like middle school or high school during that. Yeah. So I like kind of remember it, and I, I wrote, actually wrote when the Super Bowl was in Miami a couple of years ago for a section. I did a like an oral history of it and talk. Oh, about really? All okay. Yeah. Um, cool. So, you know, I'm biased because I, I did that and I'm like a Prince fan and all that kind of stuff, but <laughs> gotcha. you know, playing purple rain in the rain and yeah. all those guys thought they were going to get electrocuted because they actually had their instruments playing. You know, a lot of the halftime shows, they kind of fake a lot of it yeah. um, because it's such a production. Yeah, that's the unassailable number one. I can't imagine there's ever going to be uh, anything that tops it, but yeah, I mean, this one is, is up there, right? They played, hits that i think like have pretty close to universal approval rating but are not like 
overplayed necessarily. Like it's a little different, you know, like there was that run in the early 2000s when it was all like uh, classic rock acts and they're all playing hits and stuff, but like a lot of them are like kind of overplayed and you know, yeah. they're way past their prime. A lot of those guys, yeah, these yeah. guys for the most part, you know, 50 cent, Dr. Dre, Snoop, Eminem, obviously are all past their prime. They're on the second or third or fourth <laughs> acts of their career. Yeah. Um, but you get Kendrick Lamar out there to give it a little bit of a, you know, a little bit more, more of a modern school. bet. And, I, yeah. you know, and it fits. And they've done a much better job of this in the last 10 years or whatever of mm-hmm. making it fit the. The demographic um, and the times. Because, I mean. Well, yeah, well, it fit hip, the city. Yeah. It fit the city. For oh, a long yeah, time, you're like, right. They were just right. like, Paul McCartney, you'll do the Super Bowl in Jacksonville. I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, that just didn't make sense. Yeah, you had like um, a Compton native yeah. and Kendrick. You had yeah. some long beats and, you know, uh and whatnot even even anderson pack is like an oxnard california native so i like that and really kind of kind of going big picture to your point i mean hip-hop is like a global job like it wasn't it wasn't like that originally yeah it wasn't as mainstream as it is now so even when you say like 50 cent i mean there's like people from all walks of lives that remember that song that was the number one song the lose yourself probably think one an oscar like you know or you're yeah lose about, yourself like, is probably number ones but yeah, yeah but even some of the songs that, that snoop performed and whatnot like everyone remembers that everyone yeah, everyone exactly. knows that so I, I i really enjoyed it i mean I'm, I'm not gonna say it's the best i know so the first <laughs> i will say the first super bowl halftime show that i remember and not for good reason was like oh yeah <laughs> with janet jackson and obviously yeah yeah so yeah i was yeah i was kind of scarred as a little kid while seeing that but <laughs> You know, like from then on, like my top three for me personally, just like the ones that I enjoyed the most, like Beyonce, the yeah, year that's up there. that the lights went out, uh, Bruno a couple years later, which I think was Super Bowl 50, I believe. Um, and then this one, I mean, top top three for me, I, I'd have to say that. Um, I feel like we had some duds in there. Like, I don't remember. Uh, so I was, a lot of people love the Shakira J-Lo one that was in Miami. It, it in was 2020. cool. Cool. I was there and like it's not it does not work the same when you're there and like you're not up close and yeah. sound kind of sucks in the stadium. Um, but people like that one. The sound was good, like the sound was great. It, the acoustics were yeah. great. It sounded great when I was in there. So I think that that like gets a big thumbs up from me there. So I enjoyed that. I heard I remember Black Eyed Peas did not get good reviews. That was not good. That's yeah. I'm looking, I'm actually looking at this Rolling Stone <laughs> right now. They did a ranking of all of them. They actually put this one, I think, fourth. So okay, you know, we're we're not far far off base they had a uh, black eyed piece last that yeah, was, was bad. bad i think like they, they had mic issues they were lip singing it was, it was all bad yeah. so yeah we, we've come a long way from from uh for the super bowl halftime shows i know jay-z is like been having a big role in that so i mean yeah. he, he's doing his job right there so yeah i was thinking like you know everyone it was kind of like a running joke on twitter that people were like they're finally doing one for the young people and then like yeah but it's like oh it's not for young people anymore it's for like people in their twenties and thirties and early forties. And uh, like the Aerosmith played the Super Bowl in 2001. It's kind of like the same thing, right? Like they were big in the eighties and they did it 20 years later. And that's where we're yeah. at with Trey and Snoop. And yeah. yeah. It's crazy All these guys were big like in the nineties <laughs> and here we are 20 years later. They do the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's crazy how time time passes and just like what's like kind of like the old generation now. It's just crazy how that happens. Um, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back on the other side of things, we're going to talk Dolphins. Talk Dolphins. That, that means the Dolphins in depth podcast. So we got to talk some Dolphins. Um, it's been almost a week since the Dolphins introduced their new coach, Mike McDaniel. Uh, so we're going to talk about that as well as um, some, some early impressions as he works to build his first coaching staff. So stay with us. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's going on, everybody? Daniel Yafusi still here with David Wilson. Talked a lot of Super Bowl halftime show MVP stuff in the first half, but we're gonna get back to the Dolphins. I mean, it's been a busy, busy week. Uh, last Thursday, the Dolphins introduced new coach Mike McDaniel. He addressed reporters for the first time, laid out kind of his vision for this team and kind of how he got here, what what he sees for the team. Um, and since then, I mean, he's hit the ground running. Um, a lot of a lot of news on the coaching front, coaching staff front. Um, you know. As it stands right now, the Dolphins have uh, their offensive coordinator set, um, Frank Smith, who is uh, an assistant with the uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, kind of the run game coordinator and um, manage the offensive line. Um, they're keeping defensive coordinator Josh Boyer, um, which was kind of a kind of a questionable question yeah. move um, after it seemed like he was kind of more of a Flores guy and maybe a, um, maybe McDaniel wants to go in a different direction, but he's keeping Boyer in his DC uh, and Danny Crossman staying a special teams coordinator. Um, you know, he's McDaniel's kind of retained a good part of that defensive staff, obviously defensive backs coach, Joe Alexander, um, they moved off from him for the most part, they've kind of, they've kind of kept the defensive staff in place. Um, you know, they got a new offensive line coach teams from Boston college uh, Eric Stoosville is staying as running backs coach, kind of not retaining those co-offensive coordinator uh, titles. But I guess we got to start with the uh, the introductory press conference. I mean, what, what did you make of that? What was your sense of that? Obviously, you wrote um, a really great story, a profile on Mike McDaniel and his rise, his rise to becoming an NFL coach um, after listening to him and then doing the work that you did for this story. What are your thoughts on Mike McDaniel? Well, say, I mean, like, People talk about like when you fire a coach, you go for like the exact opposite coach. And they definitely have done that basically with yeah. McDaniel and Flores because that uh, was not anything like what a Brian Flores press conference would be like. Yeah. I'll also say like you get the highlights on Twitter, right? Like when you see Mike McDaniel distilled into a 90 second clip, you're like, oh, this guy's hilarious. Funniest guy in the world. And like he's like a charming personality and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. But it's like it's like when you watch a best of SNL and it's like. Wow, they show must be hilarious. Yeah, they don't show like the parts like, that kind of fall flat. Yeah, yeah, but then it's like, you know, there's one or two good sketches. So, you know, overall entertaining press conference. Um, I don't think like we got to kind of like chat with him a little bit on the side after, and he's yeah, like pretty, nice. you know, friendly. Like you you can understand why people like him. Um, and you know, I the the big thing I got from from doing that and then just talking to people in his past, mostly when he was at Yale and then in the UFL. Um, which, you know, he's a player at Yale. He had his first position coaching job at, at 25 or 26, I think, at, at, in the UFL. And, you know, he's this five, not like he is who he is. Right. And 
for better, for worse. Like you, people are going to look at him and have certain assumptions and he's not going to necessarily like try to buck those assumptions. Right. He's like, it's not like you look at him and then he's like this hard nosed defensive, like stereotypical <laughs> football coach. Like, yeah, he's just like kind of a goofy looking, goofy talking, uh, a really like bright and personable guy. And I, I think that like, that gets people to buy in. He had a great line about what, uh, when he had his first, I guess he was assistant wide receivers coach in Houston um, with, with Kyle Shanahan. Um, and he was they, obviously Andre Johnson was there at the time and was yeah. like the best receiver in the league. And he was like, I think Andre Johnson's going to listen to me, but I don't know. <laughs> and you know, it seems like that's kind of what he's got all like done all along is he just is who he is. And for yeah. the most part, people have bought into that, right? Like he's not going to try to, force him his personality his will it sounds like on people um you know maybe you know now he's a head coach inevitably people are going to buck up against him and not going to like him you see it every time there's a new coach um but for the most part like not that you're going to see a lot of people tweeting bad things about the guy when he's like getting his first coaching yeah, yeah. job but the feedback has been overwhelmingly like positive and and you can understand why yeah, most definitely. I mean, I, I really did appreciate how genuine it, he was. I, I was curious to see, like, what his demeanor was going to be. You know, um, we, we all know he kind of became like a cult-like figure on yeah, social exactly. media with Dolphins fans because of the Mike Jones kind of reference in the press conferences. And, you know, it, it's different. You know, when you're when you're a position coach like he was for, for a good amount of time, I mean, you're talking to the media like two to three times a year, really. Right. I mean, it's not the coordinator. And then when you're a coordinator, you speak uh, once a week. So you, you get that experience. But this this seemed like the first time. And, and you kind of saw some jitters a little bit, maybe, yeah. um, when, when he addressed the reports. I mean, this is probably the first time he's spoken to, like, a group of reporters like this. And, like, I mean, probably maybe ever. Um, yeah. So, so of course, there might be some nerves there. Um, he even said, you know, I, I didn't major in, in interviewing. You know, I'm not, like, a public speaker. It's, it's not what I do. I, I coach football players. Um, but I really did appreciate how, like, he didn't really, like, divert from who he was. I mean, he cracked jokes. He was kind of self-deprecating. Um, you know, I feel like you're not going to get too much, like, scheme-wise and big picture-wise from uh, from these types of introductory press conferences. Um, but it was it was good and interesting to hear him kind of talk a little bit about Tua, talk about the offense, um, even talk about the defense. You know, I know he was asked about Tua specifically. And um, while, yes, he was probably brought in here a lot and primarily because of maybe the work he can do with Tua, he didn't want to like pin it on Tua. So he said, Hey, yeah, Tua, we're going to work with Tua, but um, he needs blockers. He needs uh, receivers. He needs a defense that's going to hold up. So I really did like that. Um, And then again, really just the personality. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's like they, they had Flores. who's a stern defensive minded coach, Um, you know, didn't say much, like rarely ever smiled with the media. And then you got the complete opposite with Mike McDaniel. Um, So again, we don't know if it's going to work. That's kind of the, the crapshoot and all this. You just kind of roll the dice. Um, You get, you get some information. You you think you make an informed decision, but ultimately you never know how it's going to go. But, you know, I think that, He's off to a good start. I mean, he gave us he gave us ice cream sundays. You know, yeah, afterward. that's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I'm not. Yeah, he, he's all good. He started all good on our end. Yeah, uh, the, the two answer was interesting because you know he is obviously he's not like a quarterbacks guy, right? He's been a, a wide receivers coach for the most part. Obviously, was a a run game. You know, did a lot with the running game, running backs coach, run game coordinator um, in San Francisco. Like, I think the narrative has kind of been he's been he's being brought in to fix Tua. And like, you know, maybe I'll get the quarterback coach who can, who can really 
develop him. But it, it's like a, it's a different thing than if they had hired Dable, where like that guy's a quarterbacks guy. He's going to try to turn to a, into a better passer, a better you know just transform him as a player. And again, obviously, whoever Mike McDaniel hires, you know, like whatever staff he kind of builds, they're all going to have their hand in doing that. But the bigger thing is he's going to craft an offense that. It's like what he said. It's not about Tua specifically. It's about what you do to put Tua in the best positions to succeed. You know, he got to an NFC championship game with Jimmy Garoppolo this year. Like that is like, that's what he is. He's not a guy who's going to turn Jimmy Garoppolo into Tom Brady because it's probably not possible to do that. And, you know, I don't know what Tua's ceiling is, but he's a guy who the, the promise that he brings is that he's going to make the offense Craft an offense to make Tua as successful as possible, not turn Tua into something that he's not right now. Yeah, and, and really that starts with the coaching staff, which I, I really yeah. wanted to get on. I mean, for the most part, this coaching staff is together. I mean, um, I guess we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. Um, yeah. That was, uh, I mean, he, Mike McDaniel did announce that he was going to call plays at the introductory press conference. He yes. said, no, he, he, that was probably but, the biggest like single piece of news to come out of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. After, yeah. After, you know, we w- went an entire season, not really knowing who was calling <laughs> plays. So glad, glad he got that out. There. Uh, I don't remember who asked the question at the press conference, but it was a funny way they phrased it where it was oh, like, yeah, it may have been, it may have been Marcel, Marcel. Was it, from, from it was like, team. are you going to call plays? Your offensive coordinator going to call plays? Do you have some creative system to call plays? <laughs> and he said, no, nope, I'm calling plays. So. So that yeah. was good. He he did say he'll also work with you know the offensive coaching staff as well. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So that that was that was good to kind of get that out the way. But in regards to kind of putting the best structure around Tua, you know that starts with the offense. I mean the the coaching staff and on the offensive yeah. side of the ball, um, his pick for coordinator was obviously going to be a really important one. Um, ultimately, they he hired uh, Frank Smith um, previously with the Los Angeles Chargers as a run game coordinator and offensive line coach. Um, he also has a reputation for not only building offensive linemen, but kind of working with tight ends coach. Um, that was a really interesting pick to me. I was curious to see if maybe they would have, he would have grabbed uh, rich Scangarello, who he was the quarterback or who is the quarterback's coach with the 49ers. Um, they have a relationship dating back. They've mm-hmm. been, you know, done some QB workshops with the young QB. So I thought that maybe that'd be like a natural pick to get like a, you know, a offense coordinator who's like kind of specific, specializes in quarterbacks obviously 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 you're going to get quarterbacks coach as well we don't know what's going to happen with charlie fry um but again with this hiring of of smith it really seems like they're really really leaning heavy into like we're going to fix the offensive line we're going to run the ball well we're going to take pressure off Tua and put him in a position where he doesn't have to do everything what are your thoughts on that initial hire yeah i mean i don't really know a whole lot about frank smith yeah i I don't either you know a good offensive line coach like you know, that the, the two most important hires he was going to have to make for his staff were once he decided that he was going to be the play caller were offensive line coach and quarterbacks coach, because those are obviously the two um, most, you know, offensive line, the most glaring weakness they had on the field last year. And then quarterbacks coach, if you can turn to into a star, it changes the entire calculus of what this franchise uh, looks like going forward. Um, Frank Smith seems like a good fit if you're trying to rebuild an offensive line. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can add much more than that, but um, the fact that McDaniel's calling plays, this guy is like, you know, he was with the run game coordinator in San Diego or plus the Chargers. Uh, so, you know, it seems like they, you know, kind of come from the same sort of philosophies probably. Um, and I don't know, I just think going for another line coach here, it was either going to be, like you said, a quarterback's 
guy or an O-line guy that went O-line here. We'll see what they do with quarterbacks, Coach. Yeah, and kind of big picture with the coaching staff, I just have kind of been just like really interested to follow this whole process and see who he surrounds himself with because this isn't like a, a guy who spent like 10 years in one one city with one team, one yeah. organization. It's like you can kind of like naturally like connect the dots. I mean, he's followed Kyle Shanahan throughout his career, right? But they've been with like five different teams, a whole bunch of different coaching staffs, a whole bunch of different assistants. So there's a yeah, lot. He's of... only been an offensive coordinator for one year, so it's not exactly. like he has this whole group of. It's not like when you know when Brian Dable left for the Giants. It was like, who is he gonna? You know, is he gonna take Ken Dorsey with him? Like it was just like all these obvious guys. It was like the questions: Is that kind of guy gonna come? But you know, it's not like McDaniel was out there hiring a, a staff underneath him. It was kind of he was promoted from a staff that already existed. Yeah, but exactly. like you said, he's a, he's a Shanahan guy is yeah. probably the, the one thing. And he did bring two uh, former 49ers assistants. Yep. Obviously, Wes Walker, former former Miami Dolphin, is coming yep. back. People say about that one. Yeah, exactly. And then um, John Embry, who was tight ends coach and assistant head coach in San Francisco. I mean, he's coming to Miami with that same exact role. Uh, yeah. He had a really big instrumental uh, you know, part in George Kittle's development. George Kittle spoke very glowingly of him when the news came out that he was leaving for Miami. So I think those are going to be really, really good picks. Um, the one position coach hire that I'm sure that all Dolphins fans had their eyes on was that of the offensive line coach, just given how much of a train wreck the unit was last year. And it looks like uh, Matt Applebaum, who was the offensive line coach at Boston College, is going to be the new O-line coach um, in Miami. Um, I've never heard of the name prior to, to last, late last week. Um, it's an interesting hire. Um, yeah. just, just off of doing some, some research, it seems like he has a lot of knowledge and proficiency in that zone running scheme that it seems like um, Mike McDaniel is going to bring here. So from that point, you, you kind of understand that you want somebody who can really, really teach and implement the system that you want to run. Um, while he doesn't have a lot of like NFL experience. I know he was like a personnel assistant with Washington mm-hmm. years back. I mean, I don't think he overlapped. He may have overlapped with uh, McDaniel there. Um, he's really done a lot of his work in college. You know, he was previously with Towson, Davidson. He's a former um, starter at UConn. But really with Boston College the, the past two years, I mean, he's really churned out some really, really good offensive linemen. Yeah. I mean, that is in like, you know, Wisconsin is obviously like, offensive line you in terms of like just putting all Americans out there, but Boston college punches above their weight in developing offensive linemen in a way that no other college program does. Right. Like they're never in the top 25 yet. They have an offense, all American offensive lineman pretty much every year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of them, Zion Johnson, who we, we yeah, saw it was like the one guy like was like, Oh, I like that guy. It's senior role. We were busy with other things. So yeah, I don't exactly. know. Maybe he used to go come to Miami. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the connections are right there, obviously, with this former O-line coach coming to Miami now. I mean, he's a guy who's probably going to go late first round. You think the Dolphins picking at 29, that might be a, an option. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know some Dolphins fans probably would have liked to get a guy like Mike Munchak, somebody who's like has a proven track record in the NFL. Um, but again, I mean we're probably going to talk to Mike McDaniel in about two weeks at the, at the combine in Indianapolis. And I'm, I'd be really interested to see like how we kind of came to some of these decisions. What are the connections that mm-hmm. he might have? Was it just kind of like a recommendation and you did some research? Um, but again, if, if you're looking at getting somebody really what you want in this offensive line coach, you want somebody who like can really teach because you have a lot of high drive. I mean, there's a lot of talk about the Dolphins needing to throw a bunch of money um, at a tackle, uh, offensive lineman, and free agency. But you got to remember, I mean, like four of these guys were picked like in the top like 90 
in, in, in their drafts right, in the past yeah. three years. So we can't just like dump the entire offensive line. I mean, somebody, you gotta, you gotta, somebody, somebody's gotta stick there. You think yeah, it Robert seems, Hunt's gonna be like there, but... Applebaum is, and I'm basing this on nothing, but other than like the track record is put together at Boston College, like seems like he's a good developer. Like yeah. again, those guys that are getting at Boston College are not five star, four star. Not the blue chip guys that kind of go to Alabama. Yeah, Zion Ohio Johnson's State, really yeah. undersized guard. Um, Alec Lindstrom, right? Was that the, the lineman they had before? Yeah, he's probably, yeah, 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 exactly. Like it's, it's this whole, you know, on paper, that is what he does well is develop talent. Um, and there's, he has a lot of, a lot of clay to mold here when when he gets to, to Miami. Yeah. And, and, and just listening to some of the comments that he's had, not only um, an introductory press conference, but later on, I know he, he's spoken to a lot of uh, different outlets and whatnot. He he knows his work is cut out for him yep. on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, he when he talks about the defense, he's like, "Oh, they're they're good to go. You don't want to tweak too much." Um, but when you talk about the offense, it's kind of like, oh, "We got Waddle, we got Tua, who I'm going to work with." And after that's kind of like, yeah. So um, you know, he's gonna he's gonna have his work cut out for him, and I think that is going to be a very very busy offseason, not only to implement the system that he wants, but to get the right guys in there who can execute the system that he wants. And I'm not even talking about just the, the players, you know, players, coaching staff, all of that. Um, but, but again, it looks like he, he's really honing in on kind of getting guys who can teach that system because um, he's big on that. I mean, he talked about that, like like his passion is to teach players. Um, he's going to have unique yeah. ways of teaching players. So you want to get guys who are like knowledgeable of that system that you want to run. Um, so you yeah. have that And they're not that far off from winning. You know, they won nine games last year. They almost made the playoffs. Like it's not like he's coming in to totally rebuild. He's coming in to you've got, especially on defense, enough talent to make the playoffs. And yeah. if your offense takes even like a, I don't know where they finish in all the rankings, but if they jump up five, 10 spots in like some of the league rating rankings, I would make that, that would make them an average. That'd make them an average offense. If they went five, yeah, six if spots. they're an average offense next year, which feels like that's kind of like what McDaniel, like it feels like he can get you to baseline average pretty quickly with some of the stuff that he, his philosophies, you know, that zone read uh, that Mike Shanahan style offense um, that makes you a playoff team. That makes you a threat in, you know, like once you get into January and maybe in February. No, exactly, exactly. And kind of moving on to the defense, um, like we said before, the big decision from um, Mike McDaniel was to keep Josh Boyer as defensive coordinator. Um, obviously, he is another another holdover from you know, Flores' tenure as head coach. Um, there were a lot of questions really about like what role he had um in the defense, you know, in the second half of the season, we know that through the one and seven start, that was not the defense we were accustomed to seeing. There was a lot of speculation that maybe Flores was calling plays, which he uh, he always denied. Um, but you keep him, um, you get rid of Gerald Alexander, which was kind of a fan favorite. I mean, he had a big role yeah. in Javon Holland, Brandon Jones, Xavier Howard had his best season um, in 2020 under him. Um, what do you think a decision to keep Boyer, get rid of, Alexander and then kind of retain most of the defensive assistance. Yeah. I mean, there's clearly gotta be like some story with Gerald Alexander, right? The fact that he is the one guy who's out. And again, he's been, I don't want to say like the best developer they've had, but like you said, Javon Holland is like one of the, the biggest bright spots they had last year. Obviously, you know, your one consistent pro bowler is Xavier Howard. Like, you know, he, he obviously was like had a lot of success. Um, you know, it seems pretty clear, you know, there were a lot of reports out before uh, McDaniel got hired that 
the Dolphins wanted to hire a coach who would uh, keep that defense intact. And I'm sure, I'm sure it came up in interviews. And again, Mike McDaniel, like you said, has bounced around a lot in his career. Um, You know, a lot of similar coaches, but it's not like he's been in one place forever, been with one look, one staff forever. Um, It makes sense that he, like, you know, he doesn't have that kind of pull, right? Like if you had hired Jim Harbaugh, he was going to want to do everything. He, yeah, right? he, they were going to give him the keys to the car yeah. completely. So, yeah. you know, there it was, you know, you're, you're taking a swing with McDaniel because he's young and seems to have a lot of potential, but you're also like still gives Greer and, and Stephen Ross a little bit of, of sway over decision-making that, um, you know, we've, how much of that has been reported over the last couple of weeks at that, or last month or so that like that was part of the problem there was like everyone was kind of on a different page. And at least so far, they've clearly gotten McDaniel like kind of buying into a, a grander vision. Um, and again, the defense was really good last year. One of the best defenses in the league, especially in the second half of the year. So makes sense that, that he would come in and kind of know his strengths, know, know what is not his strengths, and, and know that he can kind of trust the defensive uh, personnel that was in place. Now, the, the question, I guess, like, as you kind of alluded to, that – you would hope that uh, Chris Greer and Stephen Ross have really thought through is how much was Brian Flores, the guy responsible for what that defense did, because yeah. it, it turns out that he was the ma- the true mastermind behind all of that. Um, then, then we, it's just kind of still an unproven defense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. McDaniel did say, I think in an interview with ESPN that he spent a lot of time with Boyer before making a decision. Um, he spoke to people who knew him. He really valued the relationship there, the relationships that he had with other players. Um, so ultimately he came to that decision. I think the continuity overall from the entire defense coaching staff will really serve this team well. Cause again, um, they don't need to like tweak it. Like they don't need to really change the scheme much. I do think that they need better execution in some spots. They do need to improve maybe inside linebacker, maybe add another pass rusher, especially if Emmanuel Agba isn't resigned. Um, but overall, I mean, by the end of the season, even with that terrible start to the season, they were like a top 12 defense by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, so like you said, if you can get the offense to baseline average, um, you're working with something there, especially in the first season of this new kind of coaching regime. If you get to baseline average with the offense and you can keep, um, you know, right around the level of consistency yeah. with the defense, then you're kind of working with something. Um, but I do think there is going to be some pressure on Boyer because, again, Definitely. I mean, we got to be honest, this was Brian Flores' defense. Um, yeah. Josh Boyer may have been defensive coordinator. He may have been calling plays up to a point. Ah, we still don't even know. Um, but you, you would think that the people inside the room know. And, you know, obviously they have confidence in, in retaining him. Uh, if they, you know, if they really didn't think that he'd be, you know, suited to, to be defensive coordinator, especially with Flores gone, they would have, you know, maybe not have given the suggestion to Mike McDaniel. So, the continuity will serve the team well, but if anybody's on, and you know, it's a new, it's a new coaching staff, new coach. So not really a ton of pressure to like provide instant results. I think that there will be some expectations, but really with Boyer, I mean, you're kind of, you're kind of looking at him a little extra hard to say, Hey, are you able to kind of get the job done without the person who we all kind of assumed was, was leading the charge with the defense? Yeah, I mean, the two guys kind of feel invincible, but there's a lot of pressure on Greer and Ross, too, because, like, that's – you're taking a gamble that that was that, – that Brian Flores was only so valuable to what this defense does or no, what no. this defense did. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see if they uh, – how their self-evaluation abilities are. 
for sure, for sure. Um, and really, as we transition into the offseason, I think, you know, we had the Senior Bowl a couple of weeks ago. Um, Super Bowl just ended. Next, the next kind of checkpoint is the, the combine in two weeks. Um, obviously, we saw um, a lot of the, you know, the most highly touted upperclassmen. But now you get to see some some guys who obviously didn't kind of qualify for the uh, Senior Bowl. I mean, and then not too long after that, you have free agency. So really, yeah. you know, the ball really gets going really quickly soon. Do you have any big picture predictions for, you know, what we see? I know that uh, the Dolphins have the most cap room in the NFL. They're going to have some draft capital. They got the coach in place now. And we know the quarterback is probably going to be here next yeah. year. You got any predictions on something that we'll see? I mean, it's not a bold prediction, but they got to spend some money on the offensive line, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, like, the offensive line coach, I'm sure they'll they'll tell him, hey, develop some of these guys. Like, can Austin Jackson be a, a good left guard someday? That's possible. He was a first-round pick. He had his moments. Um, yeah. Could – can Michael Dieter be your center of the future? It's maybe. Like, but, mm-hmm. like, I mean, there's a, hu- a gaping hole uh, really at both tackle spots, uh, but especially right tackle. And that – you know, they're going to spend some money there. Um Otherwise, will this finally be the year they draft a running back? I kind of feel like it has to be the year they finally draft a running back kind of high, um, I mean, given, what, given what Mike McDaniel wants to do. Um, it sound, seems like what he wants to do. You know, they can't, they can't run the zone read <laughs> stuff that he wants to run with Miles Gaskin. Right? Like, that's just not going to work. I mean, hey, if you look back at some of those 49ers teams, they were getting it done with, like, that's late-round true. picks and drafted free agents. That's true. Uh, Moster, I think the highest draft pick they had was, like, Elijah Mitchell. But outside of that, I mean, they were yeah, getting the job true. done with some, you know, unheralded uh, players. So, I, I don't know. I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago. You know, is this the year that they spend a high draft pick on a running back? I don't think so. I think, I think we – I guess kind of going into my prediction, this isn't really a prediction, but um, I think we're going to see a splurge on offense in the draft. Yeah. I think like all the, the money agencies. has to go to offense basically, right? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I mean, again, I mean, when I just kind of listen to Mike McDaniel speak about the offense, it's like we got Waddle, and I think Waddle is going to be a big part of this offense, but after that, it's like you need more playmakers. You, you can't yeah. just rely on Waddle and have two kind of running for his life. Um, I guess another, what I was going to really mention my big prediction, and, and I don't know, again, if this is even a big prediction, but something just tells me that between Mike Gusecki and Emmanuel Agbo, one of those guys isn't going to be here. I mean, I know that there was all, already some kind of speculation just because um, of the cap. I mean, they had a lot of cap room, but again, um, only one of those guys can get franchised and, you know, you wonder yeah. if that's going to be Agbo or, um, or, or Gusecki. Um, I don't know. I just feel like when you kind of factor in the amount of money that they're probably going to have to uh, put in to fix the offensive line, um, if they tag one of those guys, I mean, if you tag um, Emmanuel Agba, you're, you're, you're talking 17, 18 million dollars. If it's Gasecki, it's a little lower. It's probably more around 11 mil. But something just tells me one of those guys isn't going to be back in the Miami Dolphins uniform, which would be, would be unfortunate. Cause I think uh, Emmanuel Agba has been great for this team, deserve this money and Gusecki likewise, you know, there's some questions over the fit in this offense. Can he be a reliable blocker? Um, will McDaniel even see him that way? Something just tells me that like, again, they, they've got a lot of money. I mean, I think they've got like 70 mil, but I mean, if you throw 20 yeah. mil at a, at a offensive lineman or two, you know, that, that drops the amount of money you have. And then if you franchise a guy, then you start to kind of, you start to, you know, you, 
you got to start looking and see how much money you have left. I mean, they still have um, some smaller name unrestricted free agents that they got to take care of. They got some restricted free agents that they have to, um, you know, devote some money to. So again, I think that while they have a lot of resources, there's going to be some hard decisions this off season. Yeah. Yeah. One of those guys, and you know, they, they got the tag dues on one of them. Um, maybe it, it, it really sting to lose Mike Kosicki for nothing. I think in yeah. particular, you know, I was been great, but, there's a million pass rushers. Kasiki is a guy who, you know, he's not that he's like a top five tight end or anything, but he's, he's he, such a, he, he's, 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 he's like, he's close he's, there. He's, yeah. he's right there. Like he's not, he's not in the Kittle. There, there are certain um, teams and the dolphins, if Brian Flores was here, would probably qualify that like he would be a no brainer. Like yeah. you want him on the roster. So I think it really hurt to lose him for nothing. But I think Agba is, you know, when he, Get got rolling. You know, he's great two years ago and really got rolling in the second half of last year. And in that defense, you know, he's been a really reliable uh, kind of number one edge rusher for them. Both those guys have been a really big part of what they can do. To me, Kasiki feels less replaceable, but he also just might not be a fit. I think is is probably the way to look at the situation with those two guys. Yeah, but that, that's an interesting point, real quick, because. Um, when asking, like, what are you, what scheme are you going to bring? Right. Um, we, we know the foundations of the, of the scheme McDaniel is going to bring, but he said the offense is going to be tailored to the skill set of the players. Yeah. So, again, it depends on kind of how he views it in that evaluation period. Like, does he say, hey, this guy just cannot right. work in my scheme? Or does he say, hey, he might have some limitations in his game, but what he right. does really well, we can maximize that. I, I right. tend to think that McDaniel kind of looks. Yeah, I'm sure he'd like the if they had Mike Kosicki, he would be one of the most productive tight ends in the league and all that kind of stuff as a receiver. Um, I just worry that if you want to be this run heavy team, which is kind of what we see, it seems like they would like to get to given to his limitations and given just, you know, McDaniel's background. Um Mike Kosicki is not typically on the field a lot when teams run the ball, which is yeah, or pass know, block. Or he doesn't yeah. get asked to pass block, so yeah, it just makes it tricky. Like, can your most whatever, let's say he's your third best offensive player or something like that, can he only be on the field for X number of plays? Like that, that's the one challenge I think there. But again, this is all speculation. For all we know, this team's gonna, you know, they were they did not run it a lot last year, so we're asking a lot for this team to go from one of the least successful running teams in the league to one of the most run heavy teams in the league. Like, yeah. I know that's what, like I said, McDaniel comes from that Shanahan system, but uh, it's a, it's a steep, steep hill to climb to get there. Yeah. It's steep hill to climb, but uh, you know, McDaniel's working hard, hitting the ground running uh, to kind of bring to fruition the team that um, everyone in Dolphins nation is hoping for. I and mean, we're definitely going to, we're going to see um, you know the path he takes over the next couple of months. Um, that brings us to the end of another edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. I want to thank David Wilson so much for joining me. Um, really enjoyed these past couple of weeks. We've, we've been we've been working a lot together, whether it's yeah, uh, Morris <laughs> lawsuit, Senior Bowl, uh, you know, McDaniel stuff. Um, definitely going to be fun over the next weeks and months to see how um, he kind of shapes this team. And um, we'll be there every step of the way to recap it. Um, so we'll be back next week to talk Dolphins football. But until then, you guys take care. Bye.